For many of us, Advent is the launching pad to Christmas morning, a 24-day countdown to stockings and presents. We don't think about Advent as first being about the second coming. After all, it's been two millennia since Christ was born. John 3:16 through 17 gives us Christ's mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus' silent night arrival in the manger is the first part of that mission. His trumpet-blasting arrival in the clouds is the last part. Taking the two seasons together, let's take a look at how preparing for this kind of Advent before we celebrate Christmas is how we get in on God's rescue mission. Well, good morning to all of you once again. And isn't it a beautiful time of year to gather in the presence of God? Amen? And, and I'm so grateful to be here in the midst of some familiar faces as well as some not-so-familiar faces, those that may be new here today and those that are tuning in. We can't see you online, but we're grateful you're here. But for those of you that are joining for the first time today, we want to say this to you. First, thank you. Thank you for taking a risk on us. It's always challenging to enter into a new space for the first time. And second thing is this, that you're always welcome to be here apart and amongst the people called the way where we seek to introduce people to Jesus. How? By sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Now, imagine, as you can see here, we have already begun what is known as the Advent season. And based on social media, I can tell many of you didn't wait for Thanksgiving to get here to get ready for Advent, to get ready for Christmas. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, we love to count down toward Christmas, don't we? Uh, in my house, I, I think about all the different ways that we count down to Christmas. One of them is we have an Advent wreath. It's not quite as large as this. We place it on our dinner table and we light it. And as our kids were younger and as we continue today, we still light those candles reminding us of the season that we're in, and we add a candle each week, right, counting toward Christmas. But I also remember as, as when our kids were younger, and I didn't bring it in today, but we have a smaller nativity set, but it's one of those that's got 25 pieces to it, and you add one to it every day. You add a character to the set every day, counting down toward that Christmas morning. While they have outgrown that, the thing that, that they still love is that we also have another way of counting down. It's this cloth calendar that holds chocolates. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and my wife has upgraded this year. It's always held Hershey Kisses. This year it has miniature Reese's peanut butter cups in it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's good. It's good. And she puts two in there, one for Alexis and one for Claire. And I, I looked at Alexis as she was leaving for uh, college, going back from Thanksgiving. And I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one for the team. I'll, I'll, I'll eat your chocolates for the days that you're gone until you get back. You, you can imagine how that went, right? You know, we're, we're eager about this time to count down toward Christmas. But the question that I want us to, to enter into Advent this year with is this. What are we preparing for? What are we preparing for? And with that, would you turn with me to, to a book in the New Testament? Uh, we don't know the author. It's the book of Hebrews. 
But listen in to what this writer has to say for us in the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 19. I'm going to read for us through 25 this morning as we meditate on God's word as to what we are preparing for. The writer writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me as we continue in worship? Almighty God, I just thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this season called Advent. It's a season of expectation. It's a season of preparation. And God, I imagine we came in here with all kinds of things in our hearts and minds. But God, I pray in these moments, as we continue in worship, as we have sung, as we have prayed, as we have lit the candle in preparation of your coming, Lord, that you would allow the busyness of our minds and our hearts to be set aside for a moment so that we could hear from you, to truly hear from you and to respond as you would have us to respond. So God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. 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 You know, as I alluded to, the, the writer of this book is anonymous. We, we don't quite know who wrote it, but most scholars think it's Paul, the one that wrote a number of the letters that we find in the New Testament. But other scholars will make a case this is either Apollos or Barnabas. These are also early followers of Jesus. They're also leaders in the church, in the early church. But regardless of who wrote it, what's very clear, if you look at the broader book and even in what we read today, is that whoever wrote it had an intimate knowledge of the Jewish faith, an intimate understanding of the Jewish scriptures, and in particular, the Torah, what we call the first five books that we have in in the Holy Scriptures in our Bible today, as Jewish people know as Torah, they knew this. And so what's really clear, abundantly clear, is who this person is writing to is people in the early church that were predominantly Jewish. They, they came out of the Jewish faith, but they had come to realize and recognize and embrace that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the prophecies found in the Torah, of the coming of God to redo and make new the things that had been messed up in Genesis 3. Can I get an amen to that? That's who he's writing to, this writer. And in this particular portion of Hebrews, what we find is that he says, as the day is approaching, what we find is that this writer has a future day in mind. And this writer is also writing to a group of people that are just like us in the same time frame as we sit, sitting between the first coming of Jesus and his promise to return. We, we find him writing to a group of people not unlike ourselves, faced with skepticism and persecution for our faith. That's exactly where these people sat. I got a text prayer request yesterday. This is from ILI, one of our ministry partners, and 
nine Christians, nine Christian leaders had been drug out into the streets in a country where it is illegal to be Christian. The, the, the sentence for being a Christian is death. And they asked us to pray for them and pray for their families because their families are going to be called out in this public demonstration and protest. You, you see, we see today much like what was happening in their day of this persecution going around. Maybe you haven't experienced it quite like that. But all of us have had people skeptical and critical of our faith. Can I get a yes to that? And so we find ourselves sitting in a very same time period. And, and, and many of those in that day we find that this writer is alluding to is, are tempted simply to walk away. You ever felt like you've been tempted to walk away from it all? To walk away from the faith? To walk away from all that's going on? Maybe you haven't, but we know people that have. Whether it's what's going on out in the world or maybe what's going on even within the struggle within the church. Because, you know, we're not perfect, are we? Can we get an amen to that? Some people are tempted to walk away. And, and this is the background to which this writer writes. And he writes, as the day is approaching. And so when you think about <clears throat> these Christmas countdowns, unlike our Christmas countdowns, which so often tend to lead us to focusing in on the past. I'm going to need some water. Excuse me. What we find this writer, just like every other New Testament writer, including the own words of Jesus that are captured in the New Testament, are all pointing toward the future. They're all pointing toward the second coming. They're pointing to the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to return for us. In fact, immediately after Jesus has ascended, if you recall, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he showed up multiple ways and multiple places to multiple people, revealing that he had truly overcome sin and death. And when he ascended into heaven, we find his followers in the book of Acts looking up. And angels are speaking to him. And if you look at Acts one eleven, you would find this. Men of Galilee, they said. This is the angel speaking to them. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Future orientation. You see, that's where the early church was. The early church was looking forward to his second coming. You know, what's interesting is when you think about us and you think about what we have here even is indicative of what the church has done over the some 150 years. The last 150 years, the church, in many cases, has reverted back to dwelling on his first coming rather than focusing on his second coming. You see, Advent, though, it begins with looking forward, not backward. Let me say that again. Advent begins with looking forward, not backward. You see, Advent's the beginning of the Christian New Year. You heard me say it last week. Happy New Year. I can say that to you today. Happy New Year. And I don't have my head screwed on tight. I know that. But I can say that because this is the beginning of the New Year. But the Christian year begins with the end in mind. Jesus' second coming. His return. This is what Advent orients us toward. This is what this writer of Hebrews is orienting us toward by saying, as the day is approaching, as you see the day approaching. Because you see, here's the thing we have to embrace in Advent. It's not a question of whether Jesus will return, but when he returns. You see, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And his return is certain, although his timing is uncertain. 
We see that throughout all of the New Testament, this promise that he will be coming back. But we don't know when. Even Jesus attests to this. You find in the book of Revelation, you find Jesus writing these or saying this to John. It says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. None of us want to get caught naked, right? Come on now. There's going to be a little levity in the room, right? And Jesus is capturing and saying something very similar to Matthew. And Matthew captures in his gospel. In Matthew 24, we read this. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And and Paul and Peter in their writings echo this sentiment that we see in Jesus' own words in the Gospels and in the Revelation to John. You see, it's not a question of if, but when. And when we take a deep dive on Scripture as to his return, here's something that we would find. Number one, it's personal. He's coming back personally. Second, It will be visible. And third, it will be glorious. It will be glorious when he returns. That's what you'll find in all scripture. If you comb throughout all of scripture, it's personal, visible, and glorious. And so much so that the early church often recited a one-word prayer. Do you know what that prayer was? Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. In fact, the second to the last verse of the, the holy scriptures is Maranatha. Say it with me. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It begs the question, when was the last time you heard someone pray that way? When was the last time you prayed that way? Why is it that we don't pray in that way? You see, the early church has understood something that perhaps many of us have lost. That the fulfillment of the mission in which Jesus came, in which he conquered sin and death, in which he's going to come and make all things new, the fulfillment of that, the culmination of all of that, is upon his return. So rather than counting down, the early church was counting on his return. And we should too. Rather than counting down, we should count on. I have to admit to you that for a long time in my own faith walk, I'd lost the connection. I didn't grasp the connection between Advent and Christmas and his second coming. I, I would much like many of us perhaps find ourselves, I focused in on his first coming, on the nativity, on the birth of Christ, the gift of God that we need to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate this Christmas again, the birth of our Lord and Savior. But I had lost sight and lost connection and significance to how Advent ties us to his second coming. And perhaps maybe some of us have done so too. And while that may be the case for many of us here, the other is also true is that some of us, while we have lost sight of it, others have become fixated on his return. Interpreting the signs or trying to interpret the signs of the times. And I got news for you. The signs are all around us. Because we live in those end times. From the very beginning of his resurrection to his second coming, we are in those end times. Those signs have been going on for generation after generation after generation. We live in those times. And yet, every time Jesus pointed to the signs, he couched it with this, that we're not going to know the day or the hour. And so I think there's a challenge for us. 
rather than get fixated on when he returns, maybe we ought to ask the question, why? Why is he returning? Why is Jesus returning? Well, let me give you four highlights of what we see in Scripture as to why Jesus is returning and and what we are preparing for. The first is this, that Christ will be glorified and acknowledged as Lord and King. And you think about the songs that we sing, you look at the stable here in the nativity scene, you recognize that Jesus came the first time in a bit of obscurity. Obscure town in the dark of night to obscure set of parents. But the second time when he returns, (laughs) everyone will take notice. There'll be no question as to who he is and what he's come for. And what we find is that this is an echo in Paul's letter to Titus. It's in Isaiah's prophecy. It's in John's book of Revelation. We see that Christ, when he returns, there is no doubt about who he will be and who he's coming for. Everyone will take notice and acknowledge who he is. Christ will be glorified and be named and come as Lord and King his second time. The second thing is this. His church will also be glorified and transformed. That includes everyone. Everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ will be included in this being transformed and glorified as his church, as his bride, if you will. Paul and, and John write to this on a number of their letters, and I love the way John puts it in 1 John verse, chapter 3, verse 2. We find this. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Isn't that who we want to be like? Rather than be like Mike, we want to be like Jesus. Isn't this what Ann was talking about last week in our culmination of our sermon series on grace, that sanctifying grace? What is it doing? It's refining us back into the image in which we were made in the likeness of God. It's all pointing toward this future orientation of when Jesus returns, we will be transformed and we will be glorified. Because I got news for you. We still have warts and wrinkles as a church. Yes, we're an imperfect body. There are people that look inward on the church and say hypocrites and they're right in some ways and yet wrong in others. Because if we come with a humble heart, we acknowledge our wrongs and our brokenness. But when he comes back, we're going to be transformed. We are going to be glorified to be the body that he created and intends for us to be. Think about that for a minute. Thirdly, his return, when he returns, he will come to judge the quick and the dead or the living and the dead. This is, this is what we declare in the Apostles' Creed, right? And he will come and judge the quick and the dead. Only it isn't judgment as a culture would have us think about it. You know, culture is hypersensitive about that word. Don't judge me, Right? There's a negative connotation to judgment. But this is God's judgment. It's not human judgment. And, and, and rather than it being about rewards and punishment, there is punishment that comes with judgment. But this is more about fixing what is broken, making wrong what is right. You see, Jesus in his return is about creating order and restoring what's been destroyed in the wake of sin within us, between us, and around us. This is what his return and the judging of the living and the dead is all about. I really appreciate the way N.T. Wright, he's an Anglican theologian, puts it. He says this, he says, In a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, 
arrogance and oppression, the thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and the weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Can I get an amen to that? And he goes on to say, a good God must be a God of judgments. So not only will Christ be glorified, not only will his body, the church, be glorified and transformed, not only will he come to judge the living and the dead, but here's the fourth thing. He will make all things new. All things new. Listen to what John was given by Jesus in his vision that's captured in Revelation 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, they're talking about Jesus here, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You see, in Jesus declaring that he's making all things new, that means you. That means me. That means us. He's coming to make all things new. This is the good news of Advent. This is what Advent's pointing us toward, the promise of his return. This is what we ought to be proclaiming in Advent, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. You see, in light of this reality, it it begs the question, why in counting down to Christmas do we tend to look back to his first coming rather than look forward to his second, to his return? Why is it that we hardly ever pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus? Why is it that we don't pray that way? One of my mentors and professors in seminary, Steve Siemens, I love to to read and reflect on what he has to say in in many regards to faith. And in one of his books, he wrote this in light of that question. He says, the absence of our eager expectation of his return is, I believe, the measure of our contentment with the absence of Christ. That's what it boils down to. We just don't miss him enough. Long to be with him enough. Or desire enough that he be with us. And for that, we need to repent and pray. Imploring Jesus to forgive us and to increase our love passion for him. For him. Let's sink in for a minute. Do we miss him enough? Are you longing enough for him to return? By, to be by your side? To make all things new? I tell you, when I look at the headlines, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I don't know about you. We should be praying that way. We should be anticipating that way. We should be proclaiming that as good news today. And all this takes me back to the scripture in which we began with today. One in which 
the writer of Hebrews is pointing to the day that is approaching. That is his return. This is what Advent's really all about anyway. Preparing for that day. That glorious day. You see, preparing for that day is the most life-giving thing that we could ever do today. In other words, I think Advent's, an advice to Advent is to live today for that day. Can I say that again? Live today for that day. And so how do we do that? Well, perhaps the place to start is exactly where the writer of Hebrews alluded to just before we're talking about the day approaching. Three let us commands, urges by this writer. First, let us draw near to God. Simply let us draw near to God. That was made possible because of what Christ has already done on the cross and through an empty tomb. Because of his death and because his overcoming death and sin for us, the veil was torn. The curtain was torn. The ability to enter into the presence of God was made possible by the blood of Christ for each and all of us. Simply let us draw near to God. And secondly, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Our God is faithful. He's a promise keeper. Amen? So his promise to return is one that's guaranteed. Amen? So let's lean in rather than count down. Let's count on that day coming. Let's count on what comes with Christ in his return for all of us. And thirdly, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And as the writer said, all the more as we see the day approaching. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let it be. Amen? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, as we um, enter into this sacred season of Advent, I pray that you've disrupted a little bit of my own thinking and perhaps the thinking of all of us here, that it's simply about looking back to your coming the first time. And as amazing of a miracle as that is and what it offers us, there's an equal miracle coming in your promise to return. God, help us to long for that day. Help us to point people to the good news, the hope. We talk about sharing in hope. Well, that hope's not just the cross and overcoming the grave, but it's also in the return the culmination of all things in which you will make all things new that we profess and hold unswervingly to. Lord knows in our own personal lives, I know that we have things going on that aren't right, that are broken, that are unpleasing to you. And yet because of the cross, we experience forgiveness and freedom through an empty tomb. But we also have a hope and a longing for all of those things to be wrinkled out in time. And made new. Help us this season to ponder. Help us this season to prepare. Help us this season to embrace the reality, the great and glorious news that you're coming back and that day is approaching. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen.